Hello and welcome to day 27 of the Dog Days of Podcasting. Today is Friday, August 27th, 2021. There are a number of methods to detect isotopes, but I'm going to cover just four of them. I've used all of them myself. The first one you have definitely heard of, it's the Geiger counter. The standard Geiger was conceived of by Hans Geiger in 1908. By 1928, he and Walter Muller developed the Geiger-Muller tube used in Geiger counters. A Geiger counter is pretty simple. The tube inside consists of a central wire carrying a positive charge while the walls of the tube are negatively charged. The tube is then filled with an inert gas such as helium or argon or neon. When an alpha or beta particle or a gamma ray enters the tube, it ionizes the helium gas, meaning it knocks a negatively charged electron out of the helium gas, leaving behind a positively charged helium ion. They're called ions. That electron that was produced heads toward the the positively charged wire, creating a current which is detected. Of course, there are drawbacks to such a simple device. It can only detect radioactive isotopes. It can't tell an alpha particle from a beta particle or a gamma ray for the most part or which isotope it's detecting. It just knows there's some radiation. That's enough though for many uses. I had a job in the 2000s where I worked with carbon-14 and tritium, both radioactive. And every single time I left the lab, I'd have to scan myself from head to toe with a Geiger counter. If any item of clothing was too high, I would have to leave it there. Or if my skin or anything was was radioactive, I'd have to go try to clean it all off. Luckily, nothing was ever over the limit, so it was never a problem. A second detection method is a scintillation counter, also only for radioactive isotopes. In this method, you need a vial of a liquid known as a scintillation cocktail. You just buy it. You can buy it by the gallon. Then you dissolve your molecule containing an isotope into the cocktail and place place the vial in a counting machine. In the cocktail are two types of molecules. Most of it is a molecule that will absorb all of the radiation that hits it, giving that molecule extra energy. That molecule passes it on to a special molecule called a floor molecule. These floor molecules act like the neon lights we've talked about. The floor molecules lose energy in the form of light, which is detected by a light detector, a photomultiplier tube. This is fluorescence, thus the name floor, F-L-U-O-R, for the molecule that does this work. The, The whole process is also called scintillation, this, this is a scintillation counter. It's really easy to calibrate the machine so you know how much of an isotope is in your sample. Although it can't tell one radioisotope from another, even the type of radiation, it was really useful for me since I already knew what radioisotope I was using. I used it all the time when I was making carbon-14 compounds and I could find out how pure my compound was by using this machine. I also used it to check myself at that same job. Every Friday leaving work, I had to pee into a cup. A bit of that was put into the the scintillation vial 
cocktail and it was checked, if the energy or if the if the levels of radiation were too high, I would have had to stay home from work and or get to a doctor or a hospital for further monitoring. Luckily, this never happened. The good thing about working with carbon-14 and tritium is that they don't give off very dangerous radiation. Uh, carbon-14 and tritium both decay to give off a fairly low-energy beta particle, an electron, which is blocked by most anything. So as long as I kept from inhaling it or kept it off my skin and then licking it, I was good. Usually between me and the compounds I used, was a glass container or a glass barrier. Again, scintillation is only useful for radioactive isotopes and doesn't tell you which isotope you have. But there are a few ways to deal with detecting isotopes in a way that you, such that you know what isotope you do have. The most widely used might be mass spectrometry. As the name implies, it uses the mass of an isotope to identify it, which sounds rather obvious, and it is. If you want to analyze a sample of neon gas, for example, you put it in a mass spectrometer and it'll give you a signal for each neon isotope. In this case, 20, 21, and 22, corresponding to the three isotopes of neon, neon 20, 21, and 22. In fact, this is how it was discovered that neon has two of the three isotopes. All of them are stable, by the way. A crude mass spectrometer was developed in 1912 by J.J. Thompson. They are the ones who saw two signals for neon-20 and neon-22. Their crude detector wasn't good enough to see the neon-21, which only exists in small amounts. Before then, it wasn't known that neon was composed of more than one isotope. Keep in mind, the neutron wasn't discovered until 1931, so understanding what isotopes really were was a mystery until then. Thompson's student, Francis William Aston continued the research at the Cavendish Laboratory in Cambridge, building the first fully functional mass spectrometer in 1919. He was able to identify isotopes of chlorine, 35 and 37, bromine, 79 and 81, krypton, 78, 80, 82, 83, 84, and 86, proving that these natural occurring elements are composed of a combination of isotopes. He eventually identified no, no fewer than 212 of the 287 naturally occurring isotopes. In 1921, F.W. Aston received the Nobel Prize, or Sorry, in 1921, he became a fellow of the Royal Society and received a Nobel Prize in Chemistry in 1922. Mass spectrometers developed by Arthur Jeffrey Dempster, who discovered uranium-235, were used in the Manhattan Project for the separation of isotopes of uranium necessary to create the atomic bomb. A mass spectrometer works pretty simply, too. You just bombard your sample with something, for example, electrons. The electrons you're using to bombard it with will hit electrons in your sample and knock them out, leaving the atoms as ions with a positive charge, for example, neon plus. These positive uh, ions that are produced are pulled toward a negatively charged plate, but between the ion formation and the plate is a magnet. Turns out a moving ion will be deflected by a magnet. The key is that lighter ions are deflected more than heavier ions, kind of like a 
person running at you, a person who doesn't weigh much running at you, you could probably knock them and deflect them pretty well. A heavier person, you could not. They'd run you over. Same thing with these ions. A calibrated detector can determine their masses by where they hit the detector. Again, light ones have been deflected more. This is an extremely powerful technique, and they can be quite sensitive. Mass specs, as we call them, mass spectrometers, are still expensive but used a lot, and not just for simple isotope detection. All molecules have a molecular weight, so you can detect molecules in this way. For example, performance-enhancing drugs. I've used them a lot to confirm the identity of compounds I've synthesized. The last method is NMR spectroscopy, nuclear magnetic resonance. This method can detect particular special isotopes, stable and unstable having nothing to do with it. Only some isotopes can be detected, but many of them are really important, especially for synthetic organic chemists like me. One of these is hydrogen-1, which is in nearly every organic molecule. Basically, the nucleus of hydrogen-1 interacts with strong magnetic fields in a special way that can be detected. If a sample of a molecule containing hydrogen-1 is put inside of a strong magnet, it gives off signals that can be detected. This is super useful for analyzing molecules and figuring out what the molecule is or how pure it is once you learn to read the outputs. Carbon-13 can also be analyzed this way. Most carbon is carbon-12, which cannot be analyzed this way, but 1.1% is carbon-13, and that is enough to make it useful because your typical organic molecule is going to have carbon-13s in them uh, if you have a large sample of the molecule. Uh, this is also very useful, and it can be used to analyze uh, molecules in the same way hydrogen one can to figure out what the molecule is or figure out how pure it is. Other elements can be analyzed as well. Fluorine 19 is one, phosphorus 31 is one, uh, and there's a number of other ones that you can use. I've used NMR spectroscopy thousands of times in my career, I mean, and I mean thousands. I did this morning, I used one to uh, figure out the purity of something I made. By the way, I nearly brought up NMR when I talked about medical imaging because MRI, magnetic resonance imaging, works exactly the same way. It basically does NMR on the water in your body, which of course is H2O and has hydrogen 1, in a way that gives slightly different signals depending upon the environment of where that water is in your body, bones, tendons, organs, tumors etc. It's incredibly useful. Thank the hydrogen 1 isotope if you've ever had an MRI done. And also thank basic research, which is where that technology came from. Support basic research. Bye-bye.